What's going on? It's Dave, drum and bass arena, representing a brand new series. It's Foundations, where we interview and talk to some of the most important pioneers and pillars of this culture. And for the very first episode, I am in esteemed company. We've got Brian G, we've got Jumping Jack Frost, we've got Paul Ibifa. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're good, man. We're good, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good. Excellent. Now, I mean, I, obviously we're going to talk about those really exciting early days, but what's really interesting is that you come through, the three of you come from very different perspectives. Brian, you were working with Outer Rhythm, you were signing massive acts like Leffield and LFO and things like that. Frosty, you were a huge DJ and are a huge DJ, but you were dominating as a DJ. And Paul, you were a promoter. So when we come into Jungle, you all three came from very, very different perspectives. But when we go a couple of steps further back, it's all about the sound systems, isn't it? That's where it began for all three of you. Basically, yeah. Yeah, definitely me being uh, Tottenham Heights, um, Broadwater Farm and... Uh, yeah, yeah, Fat Man, uh, my dad, uh, uh, loads of sound systems in North London at that particular time. The same as like, same like you guys in um, South London, I suppose. Yeah, with Saxon and and and, and your guys in South London. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I, I grew up around sound systems. Do you know what I mean? My uncle, my uncle ran a sound called Frontline International. Okay, who was with them when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. I, same here, same here. I grew up in, that's my household. It was nothing about sound systems, speakers, getting made in the garage. Uh, my granddad had a garage on Stemmington Hall Road where he was uh, renting the, the, his garage. He wasn't even putting a car in there. He was actually renting the garage and everybody had their sound system in the garage. And so as a kid, I was fascinated seeing them with the boxes. And like I was telling you, Brian, the other day, when they came with the, the not a box van, they came with them first, first, sort of uh, vans where the seats was involved. He took the seats out and then they put the speak squashed the speakers in and put them on the roof rack and tie it all down. And people, anyway, you can catch, you just catch inside the, the in the van. Off we went to a place called Norwich. I, remember, I don't know if you know that place called Norwich. Club um, Norwich. Norwich. Remember the days Norwich? That's a place called Norwich. Brian and Club Norwich. Yeah, yeah, Club Norwich in Tottenham. Yeah, Club Norwich. Yeah, 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 yeah. To knock it down now, but yeah, yeah. Club Norwich, yeah. that was a well-known that, place. That was on when I first come London, you know what I mean? Them places was going on, like, Phoebe's, Q-Bears, and then you had over Pelham, Peckham, Shaka, then Glengarl and all them places, and what's it, the place up Streatham? Um, Bally Eye. Yeah, Bally Eye, that's right, it's Soprano B and them son they used to play and all that, you know what I mean? But for me, growing up in Gloucester, you know, sound system culture, you know what I mean? And you know, we always look forward to listening to sounds like Coxon and Shaka Fat Man and Quaker City, Mafia Tone and V-Rocket. And they were the big sounds. And I just grew up in that culture, you get what I'm saying? And it's like everybody in Gloucester where I come from, we, everybody wanted to be in a sound system. It was just the thing, you get what I'm saying? Just like how all of us are DJs, everybody I knew, we want to be in a sound and we all had different sound systems and stuff. So it was, it was a little thing where we would try and be like the big sounds in our sound, in our town and clash with each other and stuff like that. And, you know, I just, I was running a sound called Challengers and that's kind of got me to London. That's how I kind of got, came to London and start to meet people like Smarlax and Natty from Frontline and right, okay. plates and stuff like that. So, you know, dub plate culture was, you know, always a thing for me growing up. So even when I got into jungle and all them things, that was always the vibe that I brought with me. And that was the vibe what I liked about. Like I said to you guys the other day, you know, even when me and Frost and all that, when we was first discovering Acid House and Early House, it was always that reggae dub kind of vibe within that music that kind of got me to like it more. And when you listen to stuff like Fingers, Ink, and, you know, all these, you know, enough tunes, they got that tribal element to it. And those were the things that people probably couldn't understand why we were messing about with that music. But those were the things that got us into it because of our roots, you know? So, yeah. yeah, yeah you know, I, I like, I like your history. I mean... Our ones like remember you remember we came out of reggae, then we get into the soul scenario. Mm -hmm. I yeah, that um, was the next I mean, step. I mean, people don't realize that I was around with a two pirate radio station. You had uh, Zach's pirate radio station, and you had Kiss FM pirate radio station. That was owned by a guy called 
before uh, George Power, before he died, before he passed it off to uh, and, Steve, yeah. not, not Steve Gordon. What's your friend there? With ours? We love Soul Frost, your guy. Gordon. Gordon. Yeah, Gordon, that's it. When he oh. sold it to Gordon. But I was, I'm, I'm, and Paul Anderson, I was around them times with Rom Tom and the, the yeah, Soul yeah, era. Yeah, they yeah. were the first sort of breaking away from our culture, i.e. the reggae culture, going into the soul culture. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. Well, for me, it was things like mystery and stuff that kind of bridged that gap from the reggae yeah. to the rare, you know what I mean? Rare, we call it rare groove and all that, but it was just like old old funk and stuff like that. And then That's you right. had all street, you know, in our area, like where, where I was in London, you had like street wave and all them sounds there that was kicking it. So yeah, yeah that was the next I, phase. That kinda, I was more around, them times, I was more around um, Jazzy B and Soul to Soul and Trevor Manatta and all that. That was more my little click after the reggae. You know what I mean? After the reggae, and then me and Brian kind of met up. And it was, did you, but for us, for us, did you ever went to a uh, uh, hundred club on on on, on Oxford yeah, Street? Yeah, yeah, Street back in the days, yeah, 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 yeah. My, my spot, my spot was Africa Center. Oh yeah, that was uh, Soul to Souls. Yeah. I never did that. Was that. Mine as well. I about it. That I was wish mine I as well. Covent Gardens, African Center, yeah. Covent Garden. That was my You know when there's parties that you hear about that you just wish you yeah. went to, like, and that was African Center. I don't know. It just conjures up in my mind the African Center, Soul yeah, to Soul, and, soul and, to and it was soul. the early times, isn't it? All the early times. All that African art, up image on the mic, yeah. I'd like to even see a video of that clip to just see how, yeah, how the vibe was that, in that. Frost, place, what's that man? big club in, 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 in Covent Gardens where the roof opens up? The West Lyceum. Lyceum. That's the one. Yeah. That's the one. That's Lyceum. the one. Remember, oh. the big soul parties having never Froggy and yeah. Steve Walsh and them guys. Yeah, I just got Lyceum. Let's have the all day there and all day. Yeah, right. Lyceum ball. That, you, that you remember? In Covent yeah. Gardens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All there, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> legendary spots, man. Legendary, <laughs> legendary. There were the old soul parties. Lyceum was a spot, you know what I mean? Yeah, back in the day, when I was a kid, yeah? Yeah, man, that was a spot. That's it. I mean, Soul played a huge role in this yeah, as well, did. didn't it? And like the British kind of jazz funk movement as well, around about the mid eighties, guy acts or like yeah. maybe a bit earlier than that, like Galaxy and Loose Ends and that's right. That's right. Definitely Loose Ends from yeah, definitely Loose Ends yeah. and rum, people yeah. like Rum Tom. And yeah. Donnie E and yeah. Omar and that was just before Stone to Soul and th those were like the early first black like artists that were really kind of like That's making right. moves and that were influencing a, a scene, a new generation coming through. You get what I'm saying? That we could look up to and say, yeah, this is this is our sound, our vibe. You get what I'm saying? And these are people that we can relate to and stuff. Especially like when Soul to Soul came. So. Yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? You so know, that was the first can... time there was real kind of representation, one there. And I've spoken to people like Ray Keefe about this, the importance of programs like Soul Train as well, where before growing up, you wouldn't have seen any type of representation or anything like that. But it was it was programs like that, which kind of opened out and reflected what was going on really amongst like kind of black youth culture, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. 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 I, mean, like, you see, I don't know about Soul Train, but I do know like for us just trying to find out what was going on across the pond and all them things there, you know, me and Frost, it would be like mixtapes and all them things there, you That's get what I'm saying, you know? We used to like, you know, all on, you know, share the mixtapes and listen to it. And that's how, you know what I mean? And every now and again, you get a video or something like that. But, you know, we always looked across the pond as well to see what trends was going on and follow the hip hop trend and the uh, what was going on over there. That was a big influence in us as well, you know? Um, that early Loose Ends. Very big. Loose Ends was like the first British um, soul act to kind of really be recognised in America. Do you know what I mean? That before before Soul to Soul, mm -hmm. um, Carl McIntosh, yeah, you know what I mean? He was a he was a brilliant producer as, as a good group. They, they, they made a lot of headway in America, Loose Ends. Do you know what I mean? And then Soul, soul to Soul came after, which was, um, you know what I mean? At that time, for real, we were just, Looking to America, see what was going on there, and um, just trying to trying to bring our vibe to to the party. That time there, we're just kind of building something. We don't know. We didn't know we we're going to be part of something that's going to that change everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah, everything we did, we we those influences we brought through with it. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, no? we did. But funny enough, I didn't sort of follow the hip hop trend. I'd stayed on the soul trend. 
Uh-huh. I didn't follow the hip hop trend due to the fact that I thought to myself, well, yeah, my culture. So why am I, am I going to be following the hip hop trend? I was more on the reggae trend due to the, my, my, my family and the, and the reggae music was yeah. deeply yeah. rooted. So I couldn't really leave the reggae as such. Experiment, yes, to soul, yes, experiment the hip hop. But I didn't really follow it that much. I sort of eased off and went back into my reggae culture and sort of stayed there and mucked about with that before, you know. And then Acid House came along, really. Of and I guess it with it came Ecstasy. I mean, Ecstasy plays quite a large role in the story of, I think, any kind of, a- any movement that happened around the late 80s, um, you know, not without glorifying it or anything. That broke down a lot of barriers, didn't it? And created dance floor dynamics, even just among football fans, stuff like that, or football mobs. There was uh, That was a huge influence on what yeah. was going on as well. I mean, it took me- I think, yeah, I think you're right, it did. Personally, it took me years, and probably for us as well. I mean, we saw all this going on when we first got into the scene and stuff. And, you well, know, the E-taking, just, the E-taking. We were just, yeah, and, and the, the um, what's it called? ML Night Trade and, and all and, acid, yeah, all acid, acid, and MD, acid and all sorts of MDMA things. and <laughs> LSD and all, all sorts. We saw all this stuff, right? But it just went above our edge because we got into, we was amongst this thing here, but we still had our kind of like, um, what we still kind of had a separation. We didn't really get caught up in all that stuff. You get what I'm saying? As much as we love the music and stuff like that, we di- but me personally, and I know Nigel, whatever, and a lot of us, we didn't really catch on to that side of it first. And it was weird. And- it was weird, yeah. It was weird. I was like, no? Yeah. I, that, all this LSD and the yeah. smell of um, M.O. Nitrate and all it, was it some funny smell? Yeah, and yeah, was I was the, like, the, man, the, the, and the, the, taking the, pills, Taking pills was never in our culture coming from reggae or whatever. No. You get what I'm saying? From a Jamaican culture, you know, getting high on pills. We always looked at that was kind of like, that's some crazy shit going on over there, man. But <laughs> you from get the point saying? of view of oh, a DJ, what? from the point of view of a DJ and seeing the crowds and from the point of view of like, you know, having a system and things like that and seeing crowds, seeing the, the change of crowds, the change of attitudes, people who wouldn't normally be in the same room. Like, you know, kind of football fans who would not be seen in the same room unless they were fighting, yeah. suddenly dancing together. That must have been quite mad to see whether, you know, like, and yeah, it, I wasn't suggesting it was that weird, you guys were got, taking them. Oh, I'm open-minded, so I got to grips with it quick. I mean, I remember me and Nigel's probably first ever rave when we went to King Street and, and yeah. we saw everybody just like off their nuts and stuff. And we just, we, we were probably just, but let's keep it real, we were probably just looking gal or something like that on a Saturday night. You know what I'm saying? And we just heard that there was a party over London Bridge. So, you know what I mean? It wasn't the music that brought us. It was just like yeah. someone to go local. You get what I'm saying? Might sit two gal down there, whatever. You get what I'm saying? And that uh, was it. Yeah, and then we got great. in there and we, it could have gone both ways. We could have said, what the fuck? Let's get the fuck out of here. You get what I'm saying? Because no, it, it was a completely diverse to what we were about. The first time we went, we was at and then we went back again. The first time we yeah. went back, was it too You know what I mean? And it, it was a vibe of just, you know, the friendliness. And we it was like, because, you know, I could tell you, like, a couple, maybe a year before, I'll be in, I'll be in Dorset Road, rocking to Taurus. And dance, dance, we get rubbed, right? right. Dance, we get rubbed. Everybody get rubbed in the dance. We know who it was. But we couldn't <laughs> say who, right? <laughs> and then next week it would happen again in the next party blues party so that's the culture we were coming from you get what I'm saying and so to come into a place where everybody is hugging kissing friendly we could have took advantage of them people there yeah. and, right but we never we embraced it you get what I'm saying and just kind of like we kind of like yeah this is alright and you know just followed it well, yeah. for, 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 for me like what my man's earlier we came out of the football so it was like all my friends were in this Football fighting madness, Tottenham against Arsenal, Arsenal against Tottenham, and being right. in North London and being a rivals, we used to see this a lot, especially a guy called Phil Higgins and and who used to run raves and Joe from Labrith. And I got I didn't know these guys, they were football hooligans. I just met them on out on, 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 on the terraces, and some guy got meet Paul Ball, meet you know, Phil, you dot your meat, and then before we knew it, we were doing parties together. <laughs> <laughs> but we were fighting it's together. Phil from Desire. 
Yeah, if it was desired, we were fighting. <laughs> it was one. The territories fighting one another. And now we're doing parties together. It's, it's, it's so, you know, the irony of all that, that he did play a big part in it. And uh, and all of us were just getting involved with it back in the day. So that's how we got involved, by through Phil. And then we started going to the trip down uh, down uh, Astoria and met and meet people like Pete, uh, uh, Nick Holloway, Pete Tongue, and meet all them guys doing it at the time, but still didn't know what was going on. We went in there, there was a saying acid, and they were jumping up and down in there and, you know, doing their madness. So it was all new to me. I said, what the hell is this? And I had to follow the trail. And then before I knew it, Sunrise was born. For me, I couldn't even say why I was easy accepting this kind of... Um situation and all that because I remember going back years and years when I was living at growing up in Gloucester and we had a sound system and stuff and they used to do these things like the council kind of arranged these kind of nights where it was like to kind of like target just like um for black people or people just like you know not so well off and you know I mean it was like trying to just do something for the community and stuff like that and they would give us these like leisure centers to do parties in and stuff like that. And it was like all different kinds of music. And we we would play reggae music, like they would invite us to play reggae. And then you'd have like punk rockers or whatever. Like this was a time when Sid Vicious and Johnny Rotten was just yeah, yeah, busting around at the time. And stuff like that. Mm. And they would come on after us. It was all one kind of like, like a together concert kind of for the community or stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And when when the when the when the punk people come on and stuff. We would still stay there, but we would have to move out of the way because they had a film where they would spit on each other. Like, like that was their that was that was their way of enjoying themselves. You get what I'm saying? Like all spitting on each other and wiping it on their face and yeah, spit gobbin, on me. And, and, they used to call that gobbin. Is that what they call it? Yeah, gobbin. Yeah. And so I was we were like, what the bomber club because you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that kind of work. Spit, spit, and rare, rare, rare. And so I kind of you know what I mean? No, I I've been there, I've been there, I've been Besides there. Besides the spitting, though. You've been to one of them parties. Yeah, I've been there, a place in Hartford. I went to a and they spit party. on everybody, spit on each other. And I went to the first pop oh. rock, Johnny Rotten and all that, and they all got yeah, yeah. and spit. What kind of party is this, man? And rub it on their face. And, and it's like... At one another, and that's where gobbing come from. Blood, fire, so... Besides the gobbing, right? Besides the spitting, I've always thought there's a nice relationship. I mean, if you look at, like, kind of punk and ska, and there's a nice relationship between the attitude and the ethos of some aspects of punk and what we do on the underground in terms of DIY and anti-establishment and doing our own thing. And there's always been this kind of strange affinity besides the spitting on people thing. Yeah, well, that's and that time, punk was the underground to probably what drum and bass or grind something is. It was, you know what I mean? At that time, it was underground. Yes, definitely was. It was there. Yeah, it's all, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's their underground. It was, yeah, it was an underground thing. It was a movement underground. So, so it, um, I was ready for things like Clink Street and the Acid House or whatever. You get what I'm saying? Much as like I was a reggae man, I was open minded. I wasn't one of them ones that would say, "Boy, I mean, now go back at this place again." I pure mad people in there because we could. It could have easily gone that that, that road and. The rest but would have been your, some, and history would have been completely different for me and Nigel. But, 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 but did huh? your community, did your community say you was mad? Because my one did. Oh, listen here, mad. <laughs> listen here. You <laughs> almost run, we almost <laughs> got <laughs> run out of Brixton. It is a call us madman. We've we got we've got <laughs> mad going to acid parties and you know wearing <laughs> on our heads and wearing smiley faces. They said that was we've gone off our heads. Remember, remember Nigel, remember them tunes, Jesus loves acid. Dance, yeah, with, remember, dance, oh, dance with the devil. Dance with the devil. Right? I remember that tuning. <laughs> and you got to remember, you know, a month before, I'm playing Teddy Teddy Pendergrass, Luther Vandross, and all these kind of smoochy tunes on my radio show on Passion. And then all of a sudden, I'm playing Ooh. Dance with the Devil. That, that tune, I got that tune, you know, I got that tune to this day. Dance with the Devil. It's the bar with them tunes. Them tunes yeah, yeah. They had to change my radio program because I used to be on in the night. They took me off the night show. And well, because you play them sort of tunes. Yeah, I don't want to hear them kind of mad tuning. <laughs> <laughs> so how rapid was that? Was that almost, you make it sound like it was overnight almost, like, you know, kind of one week. It was practically overnight. It was overnight. It was, overnight. It was, overnight. It was. You go out one night and that's Listen it. You here. change. Go on. We completely changed. It wasn't old a... Clothes. You're putting them bandanas on. It wasn't a process. Right clothes, right red coat. You're wearing your Converse. You're wearing your Converse. 
You're putting on your acid smart T-shirt. I didn't go that far. Before. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, as well? What you got to remember as well, at that time, we had the shop in MASH in Oxford Street. That's right. I remember that shop. Very, very well. Very, very well. Big up noodles. So we was, no, we, we, me and Brian was there way before all that. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. So we started that shop. We started the shop. Yeah. Let me, so, yeah, go on. When, when, that, right. when, we, when we was living that, we was living that, that thing because we was there all day in the shop. Right. Acid. Yeah. Right. And people was, it was pure acid vibes as well. That's what they wanted in the shop. Yeah, right, okay. And we saw the shop, right? We saw, I'm not, not cutting your nose. We saw the shop walking past on Oxford Street and we saw all the acid stuff that they were selling. Yeah. Now, how did Steve get in there and Nudes get in there and play? Let me tell you now. So, oh, me and Nigel yeah. saw the shop and they were selling acid stuff and all that. So right. we approached them and said, listen here, why don't we um play some music in there? Right. Right? Why uh -huh. don't we play some music on a Saturday? Acid music and stuff, and put some speakers on the upstairs on on the uh, main Oxford Street Road. And when right. we, when people are walking past, they hear the, all the acid sounds, and it right. will make them come into the shop to buy the acid clothes. You get what I'm saying? Right, right. That's right. all it was meant to be. Yeah, right. And like people were coming down, they're coming down, and are attracted by the sound. When you're walking on Oxford Street and you hear acid music, you're interested, even if you yeah, don't yeah, like acid course, music. Course, course, you want to know what's going on in there, whatever. So everybody's, there. everybody's piling. You used to get people come down there, still eating from Friday night, and just carrying on. <laughs> raving, raving outside the shop. <laughs> Not even dancing inside the shop, just coming and dancing all day long, like, yeah, right? Excuse me. Right? And then people used to say, you know what? Can I buy this record? Can I buy that record? And I said, no, we're just playing tunes. That's how the record shop started because people kept asking us, right. can we buy this tune? Can we buy this tune? So we said to the we said to the mush owner, let's start a shop at the back. And then, you know, I talked to our this guy that was I was doing the radio station with, and he backed it. And so with me and Frost, we started the um started the record shop. We call it Passion Records because that was the state, that was the right, name of the, okay. that was the name yeah, of the radio it station. All, it all makes sense now. And then later on. And then later on, he said, yeah, this is one of my cousins. I want him to come and help work in the shop with you, Brian. And that was Steve. That was Steve, right? Okay. Yeah, and then Steve wrote one. And then Steve and wrote noodles. How did noodles noodles get involved? Huh? Noodles. And then, yeah, Steve brought noodles on. And then, right, okay, uh, okay, yeah, okay, right. okay, okay. So was Passion what led you to work for major record labels then and work for Rhythm King, Brian? Because I know that working in a record shop would usually lead to... Passion was a radio station which was running my bedroom for like, I keep saying, for like almost years, you get what I'm saying? Hey, was, that was a joke, you know, that <laughs> It was in my bedroom, and Nigel, right? <laughs> because when I first met Nigel, we are, I was on a station called Quest FM in Balham. And then like, when I got Nigel, me and Nigel, and I persuaded Nigel to try and come on the radio with me, Quest FM just crushed. It just crushed, just as you was getting on board. That's it, yeah. And That's so it. I went to Howard, this guy from Brixton, and he said, yeah, he'll back a station, but it's got to be, because he got a reggae label, and he just wanted to back the station so that he could push reggae music on the it's station. So he brought in people like Commander B, Chris Goldfinger. These were the these these DJs first come on on um passion. This is like Chris yeah. Goldfinger's on Radio One now, and Commander B, and enough big DJs. Or you know what I mean? And for two years, you know this was going in in my yard like a radio station, mostly reggae. Huh? 24-7. 24-7. All through the night, people coming in and out, in and out, out of my yard, in and out of my yard. When the, when the station got raided, I would have to run down to Kennington to see who stole a rig <laughs> and stuff like that. Who stole Because it, be it could be like a, a rival or it could be DI. And we had to put... Uh, it, was, it was mad, but it was fun. You know, times there, you just did it because the love. And it was yeah, really you know what I'm saying? You know? How many times did you get in trouble with the DTI then? I was going to ask you. know what? Experience. In all the time, we never, ever get nicked by the DTI, but they always would take our rigs and then we'd have you to find a new site and relocate again. But we never got nicked as like, you know, prosecuted or whatever. Yeah, pirate raiders play a big part in this, 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 this cult. Oh, yeah. For me, Huge. pirate, like, you know, Nigel, Jumping Jack Frost was big from like, from the whole thing started. But, you know, I was doing radio and I wasn't like, DJ and getting gigs or I wasn't like known and all that. So radio is kind of like really what helped me, you get what I'm saying? And what, what brought me through, you get what I'm saying? You know? So I love radio and I still love radio now because 
it's so important. That brought you in. That yeah. brought you in. Yeah, That's yeah. Why you like it, yeah. Definitely. Which were the key? I mean, a lot of people talk about Centre Force. Obviously, growing up in Wales, I would just hear like Cool FM. I would get, you know, friends from London would send tapes back and they'd make their way over to Wales through Bristol and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I remember. You know, I think Centre Force and Cool FM tapes that I would get Centre Force, right. We didn't, we didn't like Centre Force because they were West Ham. Uh, <laughs> Andy Swallows, Andy Swallows lot, yeah. So we did the hate Centre Force because I'm a North Londoner, so I know the history. So Centre Force was where... Uh, NFF, we got we keep away from them them mad lot over there because they were like football hooligans running the station basically. Oh, they were the biggest station when they first at came. At the though. time, at the time, yeah. they were the biggest. They were the biggest, but they were like we knew they were football hooligans, but we didn't really care. So they, were the they, they had the big DJs like LSD and all the big, yeah, yeah, big yeah, DJs yeah, back that in the days playing were on centre force. And so that was the station kind of like I think it was one of the first big ones. They're the first, yeah, they're the big, they were the first big. Acid House radio station yeah. at the time. You know, yes. it took over. But like I said, they were like, they were, they were our rivals being West Ham. <laughs> so who was it for you Bringing then? The which were the, which were the pirate stations? No, besides Passion we, then. You know, over South London, we had, I mean, you know, it wasn't predominantly Acid or whatever, but we had Passion and then like Fabian Groove Rider. That's how I got to know them. They were on a station called Phase One. Right. And um, that had Booker T on there as well. And Dale. And Dave Angel. And um, and Funky. Well, I'm from there. Richard, if, if, they, if you want to go back, I'm from Kiss then. Kiss FM with people like uh, Paul Anderson. Um, George Powell passed away. Yeah, Kiss was legendary. Yeah, they, I'm, I'm from the Soul era. I'm from that Electric Ballroom and, and Froggy and, you know, Tyler Basin down in Cannon Town and... These are the these are the sort of things I grew up in the soul era and uh, yeah the reggae station but you only had like LJR like Fatman's radio station but it's mainly soul I got my trade from LJR man and Horizon and Horizon you remember them stations yeah yeah soul on Horizon and, and Jam and Jam yeah, and reggae yeah, FM yeah, and yeah, you know yeah, these yeah. Are, I mean great stations at the great. time and they're all black stations at the time funny enough all of them great stations man. So were you able to pick up? I'm always intrigued again, like from the outside looking in as a Welsh person, like the what was you know the, the relationship between North and London, North and South London. Because obviously, I mean, you guys are in Brixton, Paul, you're in Tottenham, probably two of the like most important areas for this type of culture and lots of people kind of being involved, especially like, you know, loads of people came out of what? Tottenham, like Rebel MC and people like that, really. And then in Brixton, well, loads of you were based there. What was yeah. the relationship like between well, the two was, areas? Tottenham, I mean, Brixton was, Brixton was, we, Brixton, we know Brixton. Who's a black person? If you don't know Brixton, you don't know, you don't know England. Brixton, yes, that was big things in Brixton. We're, about, we're in North London being Tottenham. So we had our own, our own, our own problems, I should say. North London had their own problem, and South had their own problem. But I never went south. Never, as a kid, yeah, there, there, never went south. There was, was like, almost, I ain't over there. I there, ain't going over there. There was almost like not so bad as probably America, where you got that, like, you know, yeah. how it is like, you know, you can't cross this whatever. But it it was there almost was like that. It was, was almost like that for South, and you know, mm-hmm. we never used to go. I never went. You know, and I don't mind Nigel because Nigel's been in London longer than me and stuff, right. and been on that ro- on the road kind of d- whatever. But you know, I always kept to self, and it was always kind of like a self knocked, and you get what I'm saying, and you don't really <laughs> mix up or whatever. And I don't know for some foolish reason we all kept it up and carried it on to even even into I'd say even into the early um jungle days and hardcore days and stuff. I'll be like. It on. Yeah, I'll be like, well, I'm in mean, over North London and stuff. And I didn't go places like A-Wall and not places over North London. Yeah, because, didn't you go A-Wall, no? No, because I was just like, man, I'd rather go laser drum because it's south. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I, it wasn't, I don't know why, but it was that territory. Like Camden? That, did you go Camden? Star, I only stayed south, right? <laughs> <laughs> Never come Camden. <laughs> I did, unless unless I'm out there with Frost Nigel going somewhere, I was. I, I, I never ventured. I didn't even know none of the minds. And Nigel would probably know most of the man. I'm like rebel and run and this and that. Right. Okay. I, I wouldn't know. I, like even you, I knew late because 
Uno was just not man them. And, and I just left it at that. You get what I'm saying? Them man over now. I used to hear about things like the underground record shop. And I never ever went yeah, in my uh, life. Randall, Randall's place. Randall, I used to hear about place. that. And it used to sound like a little Wu-Tang Clan kick over North London. Like, yeah, yeah, Randall's place. Randall, Uncle Doug, Flex. Fats, John this, real to real. This, that, yeah, all these, real. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Rude yeah, boy, yeah. this and rude boy. And I used to think, rah, but I never go over there because it was north. What am I going over there for? <laughs> the I, was, I was on all the corners. Yeah, yeah you're different. Yeah, yeah, you're everywhere, right? <laughs> East London, West London, North London. Okay, you know that, you know that night? I, isn't it? Yeah. I, I wasn't really out over oh, those sides there. The boy in the Monday. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Back in the Monday, boy. No mix up with the Monday, not London Monday, you know what I mean? So one of my biggest regrets is I went to Paradise when it was not the first later on, but when it was riffing. I, I never go Paradise. And what is, that's one of my biggest, like, rah. Because everybody talks about Paradise at five, six in the morning. You know that's what I mean? Right. And like, I don't. I never experienced it because what? And then next week I see that at Music House. <laughs> <laughs> at Music House in North London. <laughs> but I guess I, it got to a point then where you were also busy, so in demand that you had to, you know, that it wasn't you. You weren't. You were. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't um, locked in a specific area or anything like that. Yeah, you know, you all over meet, London, then all over the UK. You start to meet people and things get broken down, and you meet people and you're like, you know, before and as a DJ as well, you end up, you know, and I ended up playing at Paradise at the second phase of it and stuff. So, you know what I mean? I start knowing Mickey and everybody, because Mickey was on the agency as well with us. So, right. all barriers eventually broke down. There wasn't no reason for it. It wasn't like, yeah, them, uh, you know, not London man, them stub up my cousin, or, or I used to have beef and I used to have big fights back in the day with, I never had no fight with no North London man no East London man. I had no fight with London man it broke down it, it was just something it was just something that was it was something that you used to hear about and it was just you know it, it's weird you get what I'm saying it was just yeah. like something that you just I was I was, I was, I was, I was over North playing for Phil <laughs> Feel for desire. Feel yeah, Mickey's in the illegal parties over there. That's right. That's and right. Well, Paul, I paid for you a couple of times over there. That's like, right. Say where else? Right in the back there. <laughs> <laughs> so I was over there from early, running up and down, in and out. My sister was in North London, so I was over there from from a young age. I was up and down over yeah, there. Well. And then um, wow. I used to go over there. I used to go over there with the boys and get up to things. You know what I mean? A couple yeah, of course, for us, you would you would demand them early age. <laughs> yeah, early age. I mean, and it's funny because if we go back to now, going back to Africa certain days, what's my man's name again? The dancer, he died the other day, man. Oh, Tony, 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 Tony. I know Tony from 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 soul to soul. Yeah, Tony. So I know Tony from soul to soul. Him, he was one of the wickedest dancers, man. You know what I mean? So him and Paul Anderson. Him and Paul Anderson. Them man there, when them man is on the dance floor, boy, them man could fly their foot, boy. I'm telling you. So yeah, that was definitely kind of a north vibe. Other south, our vibe was, you know what I mean? Our vibe. We had car wash. Yeah, we I remember the car wash back in the days. Rave at the cave. Rave at the cave. I remember the cave. <laughs> yeah. The mass. I remember yeah. the mass. Yeah, the mass. Yeah, yeah that came after. That came after, yeah. And it was that Sunday night. Remember that Sunday night down Wandsworth Road? What um Paul um my man used to do from World World Party. Wandsworth. Raymond. Raymond used to do a Sunday night thing on Sunday night on on Wandsworth Road, man. Big venue. Oh Linford Studios. Linford Studios. Yes, Linford oh, Studios, yes, 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 yes. yes. Yeah, bring bring back the future. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, bring back the future. Yeah, I remember that Linford Studio. Yeah, Linford Studio back in the days. I played Back to the Future down there as well. Back that's right. Yeah, that's right. Dave Roberts down one in there. Yeah, but Back to the Future down there. Yeah, yeah I remember Zick is on the Sunday night car. The Cox boys done something in there as well. I played with Coxie as well the Sunday night. Sunday night up in Streatham, Ziggy. Yeah, Ziggy's. You know what I mean? That's mad, 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 mad. 
Man. And these are key kind of places where this music was formed, really, slowly but surely. And when could you guys kind of feel like the tempo rising? Because for me, I mean, Paul, Ibiza Records played a huge role in this with like Noise Factory um, and Potential Bad Boy as well. I think, you know, his fingerprints are all over so many of those records, which push the tempo up. When did you start noticing that? Well, that we, was when, at when, these dances. Because back in the days, Acid House tempo was 150. Or a bit slower than that, one four, one four, something one, and then we moved it to one fifty, and then we got a record called one hundred and fifty BPM. You got takeoff because we're letting off the formula, and then we move it to one one fifty five. And as time went on, it, it started to notch up as time go because a lot of people said, "Why are you speeding up the vocals?" Because we didn't have the bloody time stretch at the time, so we could we didn't have the time stretch it. So we said, "We're well, thing in there it doesn't really it worked so it became a style before we knew it and then as time went on we learned how to time stretch the vocals over the rhythms so yeah as decades that's when the mood it started to notch up into that that 60s 75 where we are today uh, me, over the years so yeah, yeah that, we get more out of the breaks I suppose if you're what are you talking about you're talking about like the early jungle yeah the tempo you're talking about the tempo you know like the, the gears pre-jungle yeah where the brakes yeah. are coming in but it's getting up to kind of 150 160 because acid house was just like an open template wasn't it one record could right. be 120 the next record could be 130 yeah um, but then when he started to, you know, it certainly it was Noise Factory record um, releases. Uh, and, you know, if you, if I go back and stuff like that, where I can hear that visible change where things have gone up 10, 20 BPM. And there's- yeah, that's what they, they were moving the gears. They were definitely moving the gears because I remember a lot of people complaining to me about the, the tunes are too fast, too fast, too fast. Everybody was, called a Mickey Mouse vocal because it was a, Everything yeah. was like the vocals were all speeding up. And yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Mickey Mouse Ryan, Ryan, we didn't have the time stretch, so we just had to bring the vocals on there fast. It sounds like Mickey Mouse, yeah. but it works. So, so if, yeah, but if you're not in a party and if you don't understand rave music and you listen to it, you're thinking, what the fuck? You so get me saying, point. Point. right? Serious, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what it would sound like. You get me saying? It would sound yeah, like. That's why people say we was mad. When we had the, you know, I remember uh, a friend of mine, who, a guy called Neil, who runs a label called Redskins. And uh, I went IB for it in 89, uh, broke my leg, came back to London, sitting in my house with a broken leg. He goes, look, you want to put a studio together? I said, you know what? I've got a couple of grand rap ram and let's do it. And we bought all the equipment from Turnkeys down in um, uh, Tottenham Court Road. We bought all the equipment, the 950 sampler, the Spirit Desk. And then we came here and... History is history, man. We just Turnkey walked around. Turnkey was the spot, wasn't it? Turnkey was the spot, <laughs> innit? I couldn't move anyway because I broke my leg. So I had, not, I had to like, sit in the room with the boys, with the studio. None of us knew what we was doing. No, we knew what MIDI... Now, what I know now is called MIDI. MIDI, you know? I didn't know what MIDI meant and no one knew what we was doing. So most of the stuff what we, you know, you heard on IB for was some of it was accidents. Yeah, happy accidents. All yeah, the best fusion comes from that, really, exploring into the unknown, doesn't it? That's right. We didn't know what we was doing. None of us did. James didn't know what he was doing. I met Chris later on down the line, but with many, Jane from Noise Factory and me in the room, a guy called Neil. We didn't know. And, and even down Terry T, Knowledge and Wisdom, we, none of us knew what we was doing in the room. None of us. We were just fucking around with stuff. And yeah, hey ho, there's the IB for Records. There's certainly no tutorials to look up online or anything like that, really. And I think that's why a lot of tempos were all over the shop and vibes were so different and exciting because everybody was coming with their own perspective and in their own little crew and in their own little clique doing their thing. No one was affected by everybody else looking at where everybody, what everybody else was doing, comparing and shit like that. It was all yeah. about learning on the spot. I learned on the spot. I'd be, I, I wanted to be a DJ. Then I wanted to be a record producer. Then I ended up being like a... I don't know what I end up being. I end up being all rounder, record label, producer, this, that. So that's what like, happened. You have to, you have to do all those things. You get what I'm saying? You know, you have to. Really, it's wear all different hats. Yeah, that's the DIY culture, really, isn't it? And I mean, yeah, that's, yes, that's, that's where V came hats. from as well, really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, having those demos and stuff. Which it wasn't even something we thought about. It's just something we fell into. That's happened. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I remember, me I remember me meeting JTS. I don't know if you know JTS. Yeah. When I first went to JTS's studio and I see a white man, first time I see a white man cutting dub, I was like, huh? Who's this, who's this Jesus? And learned to know me and become one of the best friends ever. And he taught me so much. When I first saw his lathe, 
it would run like a washing machine with with with, with the old time belts around the bottom and like an antique. I said, what's this? He goes, this is the lathe. I said, bloody hell, that's a bloody old lathe. And he explained to me what th- these laves are all about. And then I've learned the trade. And now I got to know, and then I met, well, I met uh, Chris with my dad, but he couldn't remember me. At that time, he was at Fringy Park. It wasn't at Holloway Road at the time. He was at Fringy Park. Again, he taught me a lot as well, Chris Musicals, about all the cuttings and how it all works. Go on. I mean, that was, if the club nights were where it got tested, Music House yes, and lovely. places like that was where, you know, this is, they were the blueprints, weren't they, really? I mean, take me back. So, I mean, well, this was doing, you know, Brian, you were doing this since you said earlier, like, since you were a kid, really, isn't it, on the sound systems, getting dub plates yeah. or coming down to London, that was the whole yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah, that's it. In a sound system culture, you get, you, you, you got your, your toaster, um, R.I.P. You right, who passed away last week. He was right, one of the right. best toasters ever. You one of the think? best toasters, right? Yeah, one of the best. And that, and now we call them MCs or whatever, but they were toasters. And then you have the usually the guy who owns the sound, he'll be the one that's mixing it down because if you you can't, you know, it, just in case you blow the speaker, you ain't gonna let no one else. <laughs> you ain't gonna let no one else mess about. No one else touch the thing, right? Because might you blow the speaker or whatever. No, you, so, you spend the money, you know? right? So that be his job. Usually, it's the guy who owns the sound system. He does the mixing down. Operator, and, the operator. Have, yeah, we call him the operator. And then you'd you'd have the selector, and that was my job. So you yeah. know, luckily, and luckily enough, that's what's kind of brought me to where I'm now because you know that he used to say, yeah, go a record shop, go buy the tunes, them. So I. That was my responsibility. And then it turned to like, we, we, you know, we found a few links of some sounds that we could get dub plates off. One of them being from Natty from Frontline and Keaty Smallouts and a few guys. Um, we used to, you know, we, we played with them and I got their links and they said, yeah, come on London. We can't cut you some dub. We can't give you some dub. You know what I mean? And like I said, you had to pay for them things there. You know, they were like hundred pound a dub or I can't remember what it was back then, but you had to pay. Nothing wasn't yeah, you had free. To pay enough money back then. Yeah. Yeah, nothing wasn't free. You didn't just like like how we send me a folder tunes or what, none of that rubbish. You had to pay for your specials. You get what I'm saying? And yeah. we gladly didn't think anything of us. So I think I like I cut a few specials. I said I went to that cutting place in North London, Terry Newman, and um I was just do, yeah. I was just mesmerized to see this old white man like just cutting dubs. You get what I'm saying? And uh, you get what I'm saying? All these yardies in there. Terry, hurry up, the man. <laughs> and, but he, he wasn't phased by none of these. Like, I was like, like a, like a, a little kid in the shop. Listen here. When I'm when I went there and I see all these yeah, them times of beaver hats. Man yeah, was yeah, wearing remember beaver hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like yeah, anybody with a beaver hat everyone's got locked in there. Listen here. Anybody with a beaver hat would look like a don, right? Yeah. That that just changed your image. Once you had a beaver hat, you could be broadcast or whatever, but it just gave you that like, whoa, big damn man. Gangster, huh? Right. Place full up of them kind of man, and Terry would be just all on and he would be giving it back to them. And I was like, rah. You get what I'm saying? I had to sit down and wait for my turn, like how it is in music house. And you get what I'm saying? And, you know, he asked me what I wanted, if I want to rewind like a master team, and gunshot and little stuff to kind of identify. So, you get what I'm saying? That was just like a, a big experience. Oh, <laughs> yeah, remember? He said, right? Funny enough, right? Funny enough, guys. When I went to Chris Music House, and I first showed him this music. He told he ran me out the place. You know that? Uh, he ran me out. He go, what kind of mad music are you bringing me? I said, listen, Chris, this music you call mad is gonna make you a lot of money. Trust me. And he took me in and he learned. And, and then when I and years later, like in '94, when I saw music, I just ran to the rafters, two legs guy. And I, said, <laughs> I said, Chris, remember you said this music is mad. <laughs> he just laughed at me. He just laughed at me. So, yeah, you know, so right, Paul, you're right. That was '94. I can yeah, see you. so you know, this, the sound system culture always was something that you know. What I mean, like people used to listen to me DJ and probably Frost as well, and a lot of us. And we would we would play and DJ in like now, like we're playing a sound system on that. So you know, what I mean, we got that vibe in us still. You get what I'm saying? And we the way we throw down our tunes and everything, it's the same way how we would throw down in a clash or something like that. In a you know, or in a dance when we're playing. So. You know, the sound system culture definitely, well, you know, you know how influential it is in drum and bass now and jungle. You get what I'm saying? You know, there wouldn't be no jungle as far as I'm concerned without that element, that vibe. So, 
Massively, massively. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've we've got a, you know you've got the sound system culture, the soul, the soul influence, the acid house influence, the influence of ecstasy, and this was the kind of backdrop really, in terms of where it came from. Fast forward a couple of years, when did you realise that you were part of something that was you know a, a UK phenomenon, really, the strongest UK culture? Let, let me just I'll say first for me because like. You know, acid and all that techno, it was a big thing going on. But for me, when I really felt the the the, the more jungle, this is more a, like felt black, the blackness in it, whatever, something felt like a, 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 my people's. It's like I used to do, um, there used to be a night called Rage. You all know about Rage. Yeah. And like everybody would go Rage. But the people that used to come back, after Rage was finished, everybody used to come back to Brixton and come to Steppers. And I used to do a warm-up down there until Fabian Groove Rider come. And for me, that was where I kind of saw, like, this something special, like, going on here. You get what I'm saying? Because you wouldn't get the all the sort of normal people that would go to Rage. A lot of them, but you'd get the real underground, the, the, the real heads, you get what I'm saying? That, yeah. would, that would come back to Steppers. And for me, that, you know, a lot of people was like, where does the word jungle or this word, where did the, uh, you first? And for me, that's when I really experienced that feeling of like, this is black, this is jungle. And worse all, there was a guy called Danny Jungle and he used to have this thing called, he used to blow this word every time he heard a, a, a big tune. Like, you get what I'm saying? That, and people say, Danny Jungle, Danny Jungle. And so I don't know if that's got anything to do with, how, you know what I mean? People calling it jungle or whatever. Danny Jungle. Remember Danny Jungle? Right. Them days then, he used to have this big horn and whoa, blow. And you know what I mean? He used to get all the man them there after, after step yeah. was and after, you know what I mean? And that for me, when I said, it, it just felt like more, you know what I mean? More underground, more black, more, I would even say jungle wasn't the word then, but you know what I'm saying? More like, this is our thin ear. You get what I'm saying? And, it just had a vibe about it. You get what I'm saying? And for me, you didn't have to play the techno tunes that maybe Fabian Groove would have, would have played earlier on at Rage or whatever. They would just play all more UK influence, like a hippie and a homeboy and a funky dread LFO and, um, you know, uh, you know the early jungle stuff. We are E and, yeah, you know what I mean? Sound wave and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things that was more, you know what I mean? UK based, base elemented, more baseline driven and with that urban vibe yeah, to it, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And I was like, right, you get what I'm saying? So for me, that's where I started to feel that early, so, this is something special, which is developing here. And yeah. you get what I'm saying, you know? Oh, and how about you, Frost? How about same, you? When- same, same, same thing, exactly, exactly what Brian said. You know what I mean? Yeah, because that those, you know what I mean? That's where we could start feeling where yeah. the underground, you get what I'm saying? I mean, uh, yeah, she was and, like, Beat, beat, manifesto, Babylon. Them Them tunes there, right. That's when you started thinking, you know what? Something like one. You know what I mean? I'm saying, and even man, them some of some of our some of our friends and from the ends that wouldn't still understand acid or whatever, but they'll be like, they could hear them tunes and shake their head and say, yeah, because this bass line, this they can relate to it. It's got, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, mum, we like them beers now. This is better than the stuff you was playing earlier on or the stuff yeah. you was playing in Doncaster last week when I followed you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's Doncaster. You know what I'm saying, Nigel? you know? Oh, Doncaster, right? where else? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, for me, for me, 80, 80, for me, 89, King's Cross, good way for me. Because I've been twice in my life because I've done the biggest party in King's Cross and that's when I know that the thing was turning um, because I had like 5,000 people in the warehouse and I had 5,000 people outside. The whole of North London was raving. That's when I started seeing people that were dissing me, telling me, oh, you're going mad. We're in the rave, raving. Then I started seeing people on my ends who would never go to a rave was at King's Cross. So from then, I knew the whole thing was turning on its head. The whole, there's something happening here. Even though there was no jungle was called at the time, it was just a rave. But mm-hmm. everybody yeah, yeah. was raving under one roof, black, white, orange, pink, all different sort of nationalities, raving under one roof. That's when I realized there was yeah, something yeah. here. Yeah, you still have a mixture of color, but yeah. I'm just saying, there's certain places you could probably you could go in more on that. You just you 
there's this new wave of music that was getting produced by UK producers. And yeah, yeah. Like, that, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And you yeah, cut out the European stuff. And like you I said, the- 89 for me was the rave culture for me as a raver. And I'm putting on parties. Because remember, I come from Acid House. So to see black and white mixing under one roof in King's Cross, it was good before Bagmis came along. So that was really, really good. And that was done in 89. And then... 89 comes the 90s, that's when IB Record was born because that's when the police started shutting down the raves and shutting down something. And I knew when I started putting out my first tune and it sold, and I knew there's something here, there's something going on here because the records started to sell. And, you know, and when we started putting rugged vocals in the tunes and calling it Jungle Techno and Patrick, my brother, Top Buzz, we knew there was something here. We knew there's something developed. What? I didn't know where it was going to go, but... I feel this energy, a strong energy. I like what you said, this black energy. It was strong. It was something that was ours. We can relate to and man's jungle and jungle techno. And yeah, we're all sort of relating to this this new sound that's coming out of out of London at that time. So yeah, that's how that's that's for me. That's why I knew there was something going on. That's why I kept at it. I knew there was something going on. I knew. When I you say jungle techno, I always think of one particular individual, and that's Jack Smooth, Ron Wells, because he right. was producing for a lot of different people, including like Carl Cox and guys right. like that. There was the, the specific term jungle techno, I always associate with him, really, I think. Um, and more, I mean, jungle, the first time I kind of saw jungle on a release was, I think it was a Noise Factory release on Ibiza Records. But there are like, there's references of it as far back as like 1989 in tracks. Like I said earlier, uh, that, that it was always there. It, we just didn't know what what it, it just didn't have that name. You had no name. That's right. We just, but that's just, always we there. You get saying, and those are the things that kept us going and liking it. You get what I'm saying? But we just kept we on doing our thing. We just kept on doing our thing. You know, God knows where the name Jungle. Ooh, ooh, but that was the most perfect because you know what? Uh, I, I think I even said this in an interview to you already. Right? It's like. I've never been to the jungle, you know what I mean? Like, I've been to a rain, the rainforest or whatever. I don't know if you can call that a jungle or a big rainforest, but I don't, you know, I've never been to the jungle like in Africa. But when you hear some of those tunes or whatever and seeing the jungle or whatever, you you get that feeling of what it's like or what it feels like. And when you hear jungle music, it's somehow, you know, people might laugh after me in Africa and say, what you're on about. But you can, I feel a connection between what I see in the jungle on TV or whatever, and the music I hear and the beat I hear or whatever, you get what I'm saying? And, you know, I can even, like, I can point you to one tune like that, that LTJ Bookham tune, and when I listen to it, you know, um, Demon Scene, you know, I could hear the sounds of the jungle in that tune, you know, like little birds whispering, and you know, like all the little sounds and, like, the, the sounds of animals and yeah, stuff. you're right, you're right, you're right, Brian. You hear it in all of them tunes, right, and then right, the build-up of the bass line. Boom, you're right, you're boom, right, boom, I, I make you right. Because boom, if you look at the early like, IB for tunes... How about, how about you, Frost? I mean, what particular track for you really kind of captures that? I, I, was, I, was, I was feeling that, I was feeling that kind of jungle feeling from the early Warrior Dance Warrior days. Dance days, yeah. That's, that's right, you know? Horror, horror, and... Even the vibe around Warrior Dance was just that Listen vibe. Me, man. You know what I mean? like, and, uh, and that was way back in 88 and across. Yeah, it's like Kid Bachelor. You know what Kid I mean? Bachelor. Like, yeah, man. Like, what's, what's that? Bang, bang. Your mind. Even, uh, even Mother House. Oh, oh, hey, 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 hey. Motherland. The Motherland. And all them kind of things there. And even if you listen to some of the early New Groove stuff and Strictly Rhythm and all them kinds of, they all got that tribal kind of thing. Tribal, for a while it was a thing, wasn't it? Tribal, I mean. Tribal, but that was, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's always been there, but, you know, it's only later on where the name Jungle come from. But those were the things. And even like, as I said to you at the beginning, the early Detroit stuff, I know some of it sounded like washing machine, but some of it had a rhythm, you know, the early finger stuff and all them things. You get what I'm saying, you know? There are huge parallels with what was happening in Detroit and what was happening in London. There are huge parallels between, you know, certainly like the stuff like what Four Hero were doing and went on to do and the stuff that, um, you know, kind of Jeff Mills and Kevin Saunderson all went to do mm-hmm. and, and the Reese Baseline as well. So I found out the name of that track is um, Jungle Crew, Electric Dance. And that oh, was yeah, in yeah. 1989. Oh, yeah, and yeah, again, yeah, that was yeah, Breaks yeah, as well. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Thanks, man. 
But I think the influence of house music, strictly rhythm, people like Masters of Work, Kenny Dope, and things yeah, like that, the, they yeah, were yeah, huge yeah. and certainly played a role in the yeah. selection that Fabian Groove Rider played at Rage. Maybe what not. That, like, what's that Kenny Dope tune that we um, we slowed down for us? And it just sounded like jungle when it was like fast. And when you just put it down to 33 and pitch it up or something like that, was, um, and the Barrington Levy sample in it. What was that again? I can't remember, you know. And Groove Rider used to play it. And it had a Barrington Levy. Oh, boom, 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 boom. Oh, it's a nightmare. It's a nervous. Was it nervous? Yeah. I'm going to have to find that out. I'm going to have to find that out. Play and we used to pitch it down. And then, because it was a hip hop tune, so it was fast. Yeah, yeah. But when you pitch it down at 33, it turned into jungle. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Boom, okay. boom, 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 boom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And even things like, um, uh, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, uh, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Derek <laughs> May. Um, I mean, it's sinister, isn't it? They all got that kind of tribal sort yeah. of, you know, African <laughs> I think it was I think it was Derek May I think it was Sinister I think no, no 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 Zero B is it Zero B? No 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 Zero B is lock, lock up lock yeah. down I don't know what it's all doing boom 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 but I know you know how it's going to come to me it's going to come to me soon that's awesome yeah, that's so, awesome um, yeah so, I mean, in terms of kind of where where it went then, I mean, when was the first time you realised that it was international? You know, when you were starting to be, when beyond, you know, beyond London, beyond Bristol, beyond Manchester, beyond all the big cities where this was cooking. Give me your first international experiences. I mean, Paul, I guess it was being in Ibiza in 1989, really. Yeah, and Germany. Uh, Mr. Music, Mr. Music Man, uh, them lot was, you know, Dance Floor Records, Martin's, Loft Groover, and that's where I met Martin in Dance Floor Records in Streatham. And he used to go to Germany every Thursday and pick up pick up that Euro thing, what used to come over. I said, what's all this Euro trash, bruv? He goes, yeah, I'm getting all this stuff from, uh, from Euro. But in that selection, I was picking out records because I did like the sound, to get the, that Euro sound for sampling. And I found records of my own being resampled and repackaging and bring it back. And I thought, oh, that's my, they're my breaks and they're my tunes. So phone up the, the studio, go, oh, he goes, oh, I, I never made the tune. The guys made it, but it's got your name all over it. And from then it was like a war between Germany and London. That's when I realized London and Germany oh. are on the same path when it comes to the rave, because in their charts, we was dominating their charts. And Mr. Music Man, Dumping his crap over here into his Euro trash <laughs> into, into into London, so it's like a war between me and the German guy. But no one knew about that. That was in 80, 80, uh, 89. Me and Martin from Dance Floor was sort of sort of battling with the Germans with, with their a stuff, lot of guys. British stuff over, and they bringing their German stuff over. But no one knew about these things behind the scene because I got my first five grand check from from Martin, my first five thousand pound. I was like, whoa, there's money in this. <laughs> I, I never turned back. <laughs> when did we, we realise it was? Oh God, um, I'm not sure. I'm, I know me and Frost. We kind of like we went to Iceland. Is that our first gig? One of our, our first, first gigs was in Iceland. Iceland. Wow. Yeah. Iceland. wow. Yeah, man. That's, that's probably when we realised that this thing, and then we start to go to Germany and places like that. You get what I'm saying? But I think Iceland was our first. Iceland was the first ever gig we done. First ever gig in Retrovac and Retrovac, yeah. That was a mad experience. <laughs> That's crazy. You know what I'm saying? And then, um, but so we, you know, as DJs, we always kind of like carried on going abroad and stuff. So from the hardcore, from the acid, there wasn't no, it was always just a continuation of it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And as we kind of evolved in different styles, we just continued to um to fly to wherever. Wherever those um, those scenes were happening, those things were happening. You get what I'm saying? So you were already international yeah, before. Yeah, jungle we started. Was a thing. Yeah, before jungle, we would, you know the acid acid things and all that. You know what I mean? You're we right, were doing right. that, going around. So um, yeah, Iceland, Germany. I used to do this place called the Milk Club, and then we used to do this um club in Germany called Durin Grey. That yeah, time in an airport, wasn't it? In yeah. Durin so as soon as you get to as soon as you get to the airport, 
you just you just go downstairs and you're in the club. It's exactly. my yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the sickest airport club. In, I couldn't believe it. You don't have to go anywhere at night. You, you just get into the airport. Yeah. And you never you miss your flight of, home as well. Huh? You your never miss your get, flight home. No, as well. there's no excuses. <laughs> oh, well. Taxis to get aeroplane to go home. <laughs> so that was yes, and those days was playing with um, what's Sven Van? What's the big um, DJ? From, huh? It's be called Off. Remember that? His name was Off, and then he changed it to Sven Van. Sven Van, yeah, that's right. So we was playing with them big DJ. When we met, when we met, when we met him, his name was Off. All oh, right. Wow, I didn't know that about him. Yeah. Wow. So, and, so, then, um, and, then, and then after that, now I started seeing this Sven Van, Sven Van, and I see him I'm like, rah, it's the same guy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, um, so. Because they took us down, they took us down to, they took us down to um, a complex where they had a record label that put out we got um, the power. You know what I mean? No, no, I, no, the black box. You mean the black box? No, no. Not the power. It don't snap the power. The power. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. When we went there, they gave us all promos. The power. Meet, meet manifesto. Those guys down there. What's the name of that? What's the name of that label down there, Brian? They what? gave us all what or uh, down what? where? The when label, we, the label. From where? When we was in Germany, me, you and Fabio that time, yeah? And it, no, um, uh, was it West Bum's label? What's the label called? I forgot. Oh, they, gave us all, they gave us power, meet, meet manifesto, all the things on promo. There, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Not R&S not Records, no? No, no. Was that the time when me and, me and Fabio was walking down Germany? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, all of they were pulling down the wall or something. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow, wow, wow. go on! You were there during history, like you were there. Yeah, during... yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were like black people. Walk me, Fabio, and Frost, three black guys just walking, and then we still all these mad Germans just ah. <laughs> <laughs> we <on>. ran. <laughs> Madness. We ran, boy. Yeah, yeah that was when the, wall, the Berlin Wall was getting. Day, there was three different demonstrations. There was a neo-Nazi one, and there's some other ones, but we didn't know which is which. <laughs> and we were standing there, and the people just run towards us, way, and run, <laughs> and stood there like this. <laughs> talking about that, and that, that, that little part is in my book as well. I spoke, spoke about that in my book. That was, I'll never forget that. That was crazy. Yeah, that, was a, that was a mad, mad experience, man. Mad. Yeah. Mad. So, you know what I mean? We were just, and you know, after those things, I can't even remember. People have to tell me because I probably there's so much more things, but my memory is just a haze when it comes. You know that's why, like I said to Nigel, I could never write a book because I can't remember fuck all. Fuck all, but you know, all I do know that yeah, we did a lot of shit, man. Come on, who <laughs> did it? Uh, who did it? I mean, if there's one thing that's really important for you guys to make sure that, like, you know, either younger viewers watching this or people who just want to know more about the history, what's the most important thing um, that, that hasn't really been told or documented, really, or particular artists, particular label, particular things that's happened, which just doesn't seem has been criminally overlooked? I could say, oh, I did what's things hard, or whatever, a, but things one, are so it? different now, it would be... I don't know if I could say the things I did for people to do now because everything has changed in the way of doing things. You get what I'm saying? But, you know, there's certain things that I still do believe. Like, you got to have patience. You get what I'm saying? And, like, it, you know, it's not necessarily that everything comes overnight, you know? A firm example is a couple of artists on my label. You get what I'm saying? Paul T. Edward Oberon. These guys, they've been around from day one. You get what I'm saying? You know? Edward used to be in a group called Sabruco and Porty. He's been about since Dutch. You get what I'm saying? And, you know, they've just kind of like in the last year or two years, you get what I'm saying? They're really kind of just getting <coughs> their own. You get what I'm saying? And this is years and years and years of dedicating and pushing themselves. You get what I'm saying? And not giving up. And so it just, and now they're getting their rewards. And so sometimes, you know, it's not going to happen overnight and you can't expect it to happen overnight. I know we live in a world now where everybody sees what everybody else is doing and they just want it now. You get what I'm saying? But, you know, I do believe that you just, just got to hang on in there and be patient man, be and put the work in. I say put the humble, be humble. Yeah, people before you don't trying to override people who's been there, done it, 
and you come with your ego, believe that you're the man because you're the man of the moment. But respect people who've done the work before you because this thing didn't come about by itself. It came by by other people putting a lot of work in. A lot of people's died doing this. A lot of people's passed away doing this. Music, so, and it doesn't owe you nothing. It doesn't owe you nothing. Pardon? So, and you're not, you're not entitled. It doesn't owe you. Yeah, nothing. it doesn't owe so, you anything. Yeah, I've been in it. I mean, I'm still, I'm still working in it this day, and I love what I do. You know, because I've done all my hard work, so I'm all right with it. But please respect people who've done a lot of work before you. Don't run up into it and go, yeah, I'm the man. I did, and I'm that. No, no, no. A lot of people done like R.I.P. to. I would say R.I.P. to John Real to Real because a lot of people don't know who he is, but he's the one bought. He's underground. He's Randall's cousin. John Real. And uh, he's the one that bought the E, the We Are E. He's the one that started a lot of things. People don't know him, but he started a lot of things that, you know, he taught me so much as well at the time. And he's the one that bought the dub plates. He's the one that bought the EIE tunes. He's the one that made Randall. He's the one that started the underground. He's done That's a lot. That's name of I've heard for years. And, and kids need to, people need the generation yeah, need to know. Yeah, he needs to know. I mean, yeah, this and that. But Randall's cousin, John, real to real, he was the man. I don't care what anyone says. I remember that name now, real to real. Jonas had a big smile on his face. In his big box. smile. Yeah. on his head. He was a nice guy, man. But we forgot all about him. But he's done a lot of work in this scene. So many forgotten heroes. So many forgotten heroes, man. Yeah, loads. There's loads of people like that. There's loads. There's Dave Roberts from Sunrise. You can't forget people like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's loads of people. Even, even, even your man from biology, Jarvis. You can't forget people like them. They've done a lot of work. Uh, and made it easy for all of us now to, to achieve and get achieve what we it. want. Like, it was saying, like, you know? like it just came about the other day. No, these guys put in their groundwork, but we don't talk about these guys, but they've done a lot of work, even down to the Raider station, the pirate stations, you know, the record shop, all the independent record shops have come and gone. And, you know, this, this, mm -hmm. that made the industry. It's not just me or Frost or Brian. It's, it's more yeah, than yeah. that. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the industry. infrastructure, yeah. wasn't it? It was the infrastructure yeah. and the community. Yeah, it's bigger than that. Yeah. Frost, man, how about you? How about unsung heroes or just important messages to sign us out with now? It's going to be the final message. Just um, always, as Brian said, you have no patience. It's very important to have a good work ethic. Do you know what I mean? You have to, nothing comes easy. You have to really work hard to get everything. You know what I mean? Anything that's kind of handed to you is never really, never really yeah. lost. I mean, me and, me, and, me and Frost started off at the same time. You get what I'm saying? And Frost, you know what I mean? Frost blew up and was out there, whatever. And I wanted some of that, but I had to, you know, you know, just because I was Frost's friend or whatever, and just around, it doesn't, didn't, I had to put the work in as well. You don't just, you know what I mean, get it by association or whatever. And I think a lot of people expect through association or yeah. whatever to, you know what I mean, things that happen too easy and, you know what I mean? So I just think, you know what I mean, just don't expect things to happen overnight. You've got to put the work in and, and you know, when it happens, Absolutely. it will happen. You have to work hard. You have yeah. to work hard. That's right. And that's why you three are all here now today. And thank you so much. There's been absolutely loads there and I'd like to carry this on, but we've got other stuff to do. We're all, all right. busy, man. So thank you so much for joining Same us, guys. guys. No, thank you. Yeah? Thank you for having us. Yeah? Thank all you. Right. Go on. That was Foundations Episode 1. Thank you so much, Frost, Brian and Paul Ibifa. Stay locked for another episode coming very soon. Yeah.